Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Lighthouse family, good to see you all. Nice to see your sun shining faces, even though the sun's not shining. And it does feel closer to Antarctica rather than Costa Mesa. I guess California, it's like 70 degrees about our cutoff, right? I mean, after 70 degrees to a Californian, it's like, is this like Michigan or something, right? I mean, that's about where we're like, time out. Mich is this what Michigan's like? And then the Michigan people come out here and they're in their shorts and their tank top and like, what's the mental health status of this individual? And like, oh, we're from Michigan. And this is, a, this is a summer day to us, right? And we just, you're Michigan. We got a Michigan in the house is waving at us. And you're in Michigan. Okay, Michigan. I apologize. But I'm just saying we, we haven't figured it out yet, right? I mean, I, I, Seattle has all the rain. And so we have like two days of rain. And Seattle, people are jumping up and down going, yeah, we have the rest of the week. And we're like, two days of rain. <sighs> I can't even, after like an hour of rain, I'm done. Like I'm standing at the door saying, Lord, I got things to do. I mean, can you put it over Santa Ana or Anaheim or something? Does it work? No, it doesn't work like that. It never works like that. Anyways, to all of you who came last week and blessed us, thank you for letting Vision Week be such a wonderful and, and a powerful kind of example of what God has for the church. I hope that it helps you realize that we're trying to stand down with what we think and hold up what he thinks, right? I mean, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But when he makes his thoughts clear and when he makes his thoughts present relative to the church, we're, you know, this, this building that we call the church is his bride, right? And on behalf of every husband, yeah, on behalf of every husband, how we see our brides, um, you know, we love them and we want to cover them. And so he loves the church and he wants to cover the church. Um, but he does have some stuff that he asks of us. So thank you for letting us do that. I know that that was a blessing. Sherry also informed me that the first time ministry fair that we haven't done one of those in a while was super well received. And a lot of you got a chance to walk around in the horseshoe across the street and see like a sampling of all the ministries from fishing ministry to golf ministry to men's ministry to women's. And so we're like the little train that could. Right? I mean, we're a smaller community church, but we have a lot of really good, strong ministry. So, like, if you're passionate about um, serving, like, FBM can help facilitate that. If you're passionate about fishing or just Bible study, we can put you in something that can facilitate that. So, it was really fun to hear that. I heard there was actually quite a few signups for uh, new small groups, which is another exciting thing. Sherry tells me there's a new family small group on the horizon and possibly another new small group coming as well. So as we get all that information, we'll definitely let you know. And as you heard, we're going to play golf again here at the end of February. And since my surgery is not till the first week of March, we shall be returning. We are not the pros. We're what, what everybody's made up stuff to be. We'll just be simple golfers looking forward to hanging out with everyone. And, and yes, possibly we will we'll bring our game again, but we'll have a really good time. So if you didn't play last month, please come join us going to be uh, Saturday at the end of the month. So all that to be said is uh, I'm really blessed to be here this morning. I'm feeling good. Thank you for letting me share that wonderful news with you. For those who didn't hear, I'm actually getting a kidney on March 11th. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, in the wide world of things that you're getting, I know, Charlie, I don't know what you got for your birthday yesterday, Charlie, but I was wondering, I'm getting a kidney, okay, for not my birthday. What did you get, Jeannie? What did you get him? Because let's just, apples to apples here. Prime rib. Okay, that's good. Now, I'm saying prime rib is good, but a kidney, okay? Uh, 59, my birthday is coming up in March, but 59 never looks so good because I think I'm going to have the rest of my life to say, how do you pay back a kidney? Like, how do you even postulate to somebody or something? So, thank you all for praying. I'm looking forward to sharing that whole story one day. 
And speaking of stories, at communion today, I have a praise that we're going to share with you. We're going to be inviting Ted Ferris up. Ted recently went through a quad or a triple or a quadruple or octoplet bypass. Three, yeah. However many bypass it was. He had a very interesting experience, and God really blessed him. And he's going to come up and share with us at communion just the kind of praise. So thank you guys for being here. Let me open with prayer, and then we're going to get back into Acts 25. Today's passage is called, Blessed are the Flexible, and trust me, the opening line of Paul's line, two years later, still in jail, just screams out, if you're not flexible, church, uh, if you came in this morning feeling a little rigid about life, then this message is for you, and it has been for me as well all week. So, Father God, we come before you with this opportunity to study your word and see the simplexity of the, this guy who writes half of the New Testament. And yet, as he writes half of the New Testament with all the things that he planned for and all the things he dreamed of, every time I read some of these passages, I think about how many times he must have cried out, how much longer, Lord, how much longer? And I know that this life is kind of like that right now. I'm on the verge of an election and all these different things happening. Uh, we all feel like, how much longer until you show yourself or how much longer until you take the church home? But the reality is it's, it's already planned. And for asking that question, um, the answer is it's planned. And it's, it's absolutely known. But what's not known is today, is there someone in our world? Is there someone in our oikos? Is there someone in our near presence that we could just share and show the love of God to and be the hands and feet of the Almighty God and make a difference today for the kingdom of God? If that's what we can do, Father, then we already purpose. May everything that happens in this building this morning from the time of reading your word to communion, be for that one person that might be online or in this building today for the sake of salvation. Father, we do it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So here's a phrase that I caught myself saying time and time again in this passage week. Along the way, right? Along the way. You're going through life, you're going through life, you're going through life, and the goal always seems to be to get to some kind of destination, whether it's your wedding or it's this job title or this thing in life that you've set out there as the goal. To get to that goal is the, is the only thing you focus on. And what you're missing out on is all the ministry that's taking place along the way, right? As chapter 25 opens up this week, it talks about the idea that Paul, two years later, is still sitting in jail. Two years later, this Roman guy who was a Roman citizen and had all the rights and privileges a Roman had, still can't have a reason why he's in jail. He's simply been there, put there by the governor who's doing a favor to the Jews. Now, why would someone want to do a favor to the Jews? Because the Jews were the providence that he was over. So he's like the person, the, the, the individual who's over that region, and the Ju Jerusalem area was known for being a place of uprise. So if he could do something to kind of throw them a bone and kind of calm them down a little bit, then happy Jews meant that the whole of Israel would be calm. And so keeping someone in jail, if that's all it took, was a simple thing to do. The problem is what he doesn't realize is the individual that he's asked to remain in jail has been told from the beginning by his Lord and Savior that a path for him was going to be different than it was for everyone else. If you guys remember back in Acts chapter 9, this passage, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, this was Jesus telling Paul his road. He said, this man, this is Paul, has been my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Then verse 16 says, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
Now, suffering for his name is not the kind of suffering that you and I are talking about. Rain, I'm being very facetious, you know, rain, whatever it is, inconvenience. This man was a professional sufferer. If you talk about the things that Paul really had to go through, um, snake bitten, right? He shows up on, on an island to witness to a bunch of people to share God's faith with them. He gets off the boat. It's cold outside. He's grab, grabbing some branches, putting it all together to try to make a fire and just kind of get himself situated. One of the branches he grabs has a moccasin or some kind of vipers on it. And as he's trying to drop it into the fire, it latches onto his hand and bites him. The locals all see that it's a you know, poisonous snake and it's latched onto his hand. And they all kind of rear back and think, oh, this is, this is uh, karma. This is your fate. This is what it was meant to be. And Paul just looks at him and goes, no, this is dinner. And shakes it off and just keeps building the fire, right? This is a man who was constantly being challenged, shipwrecked. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been shipwrecked lately. But this is a man who was shipwrecked multiple times. Uh, for those of us who've been in the ocean, do you ask someone who's ever been in the ocean, go to the beach at nighttime. You want to try something really interesting? Here's a little experiment. Go to the beach at nighttime. Get your swimsuit on, whatever that may be. God bless you for whatever it is. And head out into the water at nighttime. Don't do it right now while it's stormy and the waves are all crazy. Try Balboa Bay first. Let's go with just Balboa first. Go down and visit Lori and the people who are down there. But just go out into the water at darkness when there's no light around. And watch what happens to your mind when you enter into a dark domain and have no kind of concept of what's going on, this man was shipwrecked at sea more than one time. How flexible do you have to be in that situation, okay? Stoning, okay, stoning. Well, not, none of us are going through stoning today, but stoning was a popular way of saying, hey, we don't like what you're saying, and what you're saying offends us, and so we're going to kill you. And not only are we going to kill you, but we're going to leave the pile of rocks on your dead, decaying body as a sign to everyone else that if you do that in our town, that's the, what's waiting for you. So they simply grab rocks or boulders to whatever they can get over their head, and they take turns throwing them at them in an attempt to both kill and cover the individual. Paul was stoned multiple times. One time records that Paul gets up, knocks the pile of rocks off, and goes right back into town and keeps on sharing. That's the kind of biblical flexibility I want to talk to you about. I wrote it down because it's a little bit different than the flexibility in life. I'm talking about the kind of flexibility that says, instead of complaining or feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to look to God and his insight regarding what plans and what, what is he trying to show me to consider this joy. Consider rock-throwing joy. Consider snake-bitten joy. Consider cancer joy. I just lost my job joy. More rain joy. A month long of politics, joy? Yes, church, we have to consider it all joy. Why? Because if you're so caught up with the grass on the other side of the fence, you forget the grass that's on your side of the fence, right? And if you can't mow the four by four patch of grass on your side of the fence, then envying your neighbor's eight by eight piece of grass not only works against you, but it kills the four by four piece of grass that God has given you. Does that make sense? You're all like, this is lawn mowing stuff on Sunday. It's simple. What God has given us is what he's given us. And if we can't be grateful with a little, we will never be content with a lot. And I'm talking little because Paul says later on, I've been content to be little. So finding himself in these different situations, he asked himself this one thing. What is the difference between holding on like this before the Lord or holding on like this before the Lord? Okay? If I'm flexible, I'm going to hold all things like this. This is a posture that says, okay, God, 
two years later, I'm still in jail. Two years later, I'm a Roman citizen with no actual charge, okay? Can you imagine? I work for the police department. Sometimes we have to hold people trying to find out what the situation is. Sometimes we'll detain someone in handcuffs for two minutes. You want to see people go crazy. What happens when we start to lose some of our liberties, especially if you think you're innocent and the police department is simply trying to figure out the situation? Two minutes in handcuffs or two minutes in the back of a police car puts some people in pure shock. This man's sitting in a jail cell for two years under no accusation. No accusation that's been proven, and yet he's still sitting there. He has to understand something. Okay, Lord, two years? I think two weeks was enough. Two days was probably enough. What could the possible point be? I'm going to get to the, some of the possible points that Paul actually used it for. I'm not a criminal. I'm not prepared for this. And I want to ask you one question. What part of sitting under Gamaliel when I was being trained to be a Pharisee amongst the Pharisees, a Hebrew amongst the Hebrews, do I need to call upon while I'm sitting in the jail, Lord? All this training, all this information, all this good things you've given me, and yet I'm sitting in a jail cell. How am I going to use any of this? Am I going to use any of this? Do you want me to use any of this? He says, Paul, what I want you to do is minister along the way. And part of the way for you is going to be a different jailer every day because part of Paul's jailing is he has a jailer, right? God is giving him what's called the captive audience of one. Church, every week when we sit in this building, we have 150 people, whatever it is, we sit in here, and you, of your own volition, get to sit here if you want, but you can get up and leave at any time, and it's of no offense to me, but that jailer could not get up, okay? And for 24 hours, or for one week, or whatever his assignment was, he had to sit in the presence of Paul and make sure that Paul didn't go anywhere. And every single week along the way to Rome, right, he's going to get to Rome. He has to get to Caesar because that's been given to him. So that's the end game. But along the way is the jailer that comes in, and he's a Roman jailer, and he has to sit with Paul, and he has to say, what are you, how are you here? You're not like any of the other guys in these cells. What is it going on with you? And Paul gets to throw seeds over and over and over again, 365 days a week to the Roman army. Can you imagine how many people inside of that Roman army probably came to the Lord under the ministry of this guy who's captive in jail? Now, for those of you who get to go on mission trips and choose all these other ways that you can share the Lord, think about that. Sometimes the Lord may have a different plan for you to share. So that's why I would say this would be my first point. Along the way, God's going to ask you to do things, and you are trying to get to the end game. But remember this, Paul would travel 14,000 miles. He would become the most prolific missionary in the Bible. He would, be, he would be the individual who writes over half of the New Testament, yet the opening verses read this. Let's just read the first five verses of Acts 25. Three days after arriving in the Providence, Festus went up to Caesar, Caesarea in Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared for him and presented charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor. Hear this, as a favor. This is going to be going in an ongoing theme within this whole thing. As a favor to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush him and kill him along the way. Festus, the governor, answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. So let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, there they can press charges against him. Okay? As a favor to somebody, as a favor. Do you, when you hear about politics today, is that still ongoing? Have we kind of moved away from this? 
Is there anything new under the sun, church? When the scripture says that, do you really think about that? Do you get frustrated by things when you're like, isn't that redundant? Haven't we already done that? Wasn't the history class that you and I went to, we learn history the opening day of, you know, fifth grade or sixth grade. We're going to learn history. Why? So we don't repeat the past. Isn't everything we do just repeating the past? If I hear another TV show that's being remade or another movie that they have no new ideas left in the world, I'm not saying our generation didn't have the best movies and the best music. We did. I mean, 70s, 70s gen, we had the best stuff there was. But there's nothing new. You can't come up with a new movie. Here, coming out this summer, Dune 2. Dune 2. Dune came out 20 years ago. What, Dune 1 was good enough. Leave those guys alone. There's nothing new. And they're trying to just kind of recreate. Here's what it's all about. It's about favors. It's about parlaying. It's about playing whatever, you know, you have. What do you have? I, I got aces and you got fives. We're, we're, everyone's trying to play this game. And Paul's saying, I'm not, there's no game for this. I studied under the best teacher, the best teacher there was, and I'm sitting in jail. What's fair about that? What, what's interesting about that? that I've traveled 14,000 miles. 14,000 miles, by the way, guys, we're talking 14,000 miles 2,000 years ago. That's some hard miles, right? Think about the roads. Think about the method of travel. The average travel a day was about 18 to 20 miles a day. That was a full day of travel if you went that far. This guy's put the due diligence in, and what does he have? He's a pawn in someone's favor scheme. And he's doing a favor that the first guy started, the first governor. He dies and goes away. Now the second governor comes on, and now he's going to be doing favors. And they're open about what they're saying as a favor to the Jews. That tells you how problematic the, Jewish, the Jew was, the Jewish culture was, and how much problems in Israel it was. For such a moment as this, two years earlier, all these different things, wasn't there already like an oath by 40 guys? Did we not talk about that? Remember the 40 guys were like, okay, blood oath, and we're not going to eat. We're going to kill Paul. And like two hours later, the first guys were like, I'm dying over here, right? And like four hours later, the guys are like, oh my gosh, we haven't killed him yet. Because we're guys. Let's just be honest here. Eight hours into it, I'm sure where the first guy died. Let's just be honest. No guy made it a day without eating because there had to have been an in and out or something there. And they're like, let's just go get a snack, right? 40, they're gone. It's two years later. So why isn't it gone? Why isn't the problem gone? Forty men died. I, I'm assuming they all died or they didn't honor their oath. The Bible says make your oath an oath. Yes is yes and no is no. They're gone and they're done. It's two years later. Why doesn't it go away? Do you ever wonder why some of the problems you had two years ago haven't gone away? It's two years ago. Are you still holding on to something this morning that's two years ago or 12 years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? When I tell you blessed are the flexible, I'm going to tell you one thing that cannot be a component of your being flexible. If you are so committed to holding on to the past that you can't move forward in the present, you will never be flexible as the word of God intends you to be. God says, look, if you want to be stiff-necked, let me explain to you what a stiff-necked person is. They can't look left and they can't look right. Rich, you remember when you had your bad shoulder? We would never, like, play games with you because it made it really hard. A stiff-necked person is really kind of myopic in their scope. What that means is they can only see what's in front of them. And guess what happens as you become more and more stiff-necked and lose your flexibility? All you will see is one thing. Guess what you will see? Your problem. 
You will no longer see the world around you. You will no longer be flexible enough to see that other people love you and care about you and are praying for you. You will no other see that you're part of a community. You will make decisions exclusively based on what you think and what you see because you have become stiff-necked. So when I say blessed are the flexible, I'm saying this, point number one. If you refuse to let go of the past, the things of the past will influence the present and ultimately your future. This is for all you English majors. The effect of being stuck in the past now affects the present. Two different words, two different meanings, but from the same concept is that you refuse to let it go. What do you gain by holding on to something? As you sit here this morning in light of communion coming up at the end of the message, what do you actually gain by holding on to something? What are you trying to say? I won't forget. Or I'll make sure there's justice. Do you, do you understand what that actually usurps in the Bible? Who's ultimately responsible for justice? <laughs> yeah, y'all looked up, right? Who's ultimately paid the price for justice? Who is the only person who can actually forgive someone? So what are you actually doing when you hold on to something and say, I'm not going to let it go? You walk against the very nature of God who says, when you, forget, when you are no longer receiving the forgiveness of God, then you're no longer able to forgive others. Your relationship with God becomes impeded. You, you affect your relationship with God by holding on to the past. You can't move forward. Paul said, run this race, right? Do, do this life in such a way that you realize there's a goal. I got to get to Caesar. I want to get to Rome. I want to get to where the Lord has told me I need to get. But in the meantime, along the way, I got to do ministry. Are you going to be ready for the end game if you can't do ministry along the way? No, because a lot of times what we're doing along the way is the conditioning that prepares us to stand before Caesar, Right? Don't underestimate the value of today in hopes of what the Lord has for us tomorrow. Tomorrow's already promised to you, church. If you're a, a believer in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus' work on the cross, that's already promised to you. Now use it for today to hold things loosely and consider it. Remember when Felix held him in jail because he wanted a bribe, right? Two years sitting in jail, he's going to pay a bribe, right? He's going he's to show himself to be like everyone else. These Christians are going to be just like everyone else. Because what he was probably saying is that was a standard practice of the time. If you were illegally jailed or illegally held, you probably paid whatever you could to get out. And then the governor's pockets were fattened, and they let you out, and nobody cared either way. And that's what you did. I love what Genesis says about that. Genesis 50 says this, what you intended for evil... God uses for good. Put me in jail. Show me disrespect. Treat me poorly on behalf of the cross. And then ask me how I'm going to respond. And I'm going to respond like this. If the Lord wills. Right? If this is what the Lord wants. But my marriage is broken. My, my relationships are broken. My car is broken. Then this is broken. If the Lord wills that thing broken, talking with Kelly this morning about her car. Her car broke down this weekend. She didn't even know it was broken. She was driving happily down PCH when someone else told her, hey, something might be going on with your car. She takes her car into the shop. It is broken. And she also finds out, and by the way, your brakes are bad. Is this providence? We talked about providence a couple weeks ago. I mean, if you're stiff-necked and you can't be flexible, do you not see God in anything? Or do you say, oh, my car is broken and it's going to cost me X amount of... 
Or did you hear what he said? There was other things wrong with your car. And the way you travel down PCH, it's probably good for you to have brakes, Kelly. <laughs> if you knew what kind of car it was, it's really good that she has brakes, right? So I'm going to slow you down when you don't even know it. Now it's just a question of what do you do when that mechanic says, well, this is going to be 500 bucks. Oh, 500 bucks. Or, hey, be flexible. Roll with it. Festus is putting him in jail to do a favor to someone. And God promises, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you a captive audience. And every Roman soldier you lead to the Lord know this. You would have never found them. You would have never spoke to them. And they would have never been available to you if you weren't where I put you. Are you flexible enough to see that as God calls you and puts you in uncomfortable places? Or are you just bitter that God's asked you to go? Remember, ultimately, Paul said this, I have a clear conscience. Church, I don't know about you, going into communion, every time we have communion, I'm glad that we have it at the end of the month, so you kind of know, to kind of beginning of the month, to kind of prep yourself. But I'm always wondering why people who can take communion, and there's always people that struggle with communion, it's, is it because of our conscience? What would stop us from wanting to put the body and blood of Christ back into us to remind us that our battery needs recharging? What would stop us from taking the one thing that we know gives us the ability to be more than conquerors in Christ who strengthens me? Right? If we forget the nuances of what the basics are of our faith, then our conscience tells us, you're not worthy. Why? And you go back to this incident you're holding on to because you did this. Or because you think this. Or this happened X amount of years ago. And Paul says, forgetting what lies behind me. Forget it. Man, I press on. Why? Because there's a race that we're running. And we need to have all the tools and increments that we can have to run it. So let's run back to the passage and see what the next point is he shares with us. This is uh, 6 through 12. One quick read. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea the next day, and he covered with the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem. They stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law, against the temple, or against Caesar. Remember, three accusations were made against him. There's three delineations of that return. No, no, and no. Verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, hey, new, new governor, new time, same old, same old politics, said, are you willing to go down to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? And Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have done nothing wrong to the Jews, as you yourself very well know. If, however, verse 11, I am guilty of doing something and deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by those Jews are not true, then no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he could do that. That shuts it all down. That's like claiming the fifth today in our own language. Verse 12 says, And after Festus had confirmed with the council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. More favors. More handshakes. More opportunities. Do you ever feel like all the stuff happening around you is just a world of handshakes and more opportunities for people to take advantage of us? Every time a business closes in town, are you convinced it's going to open up as another pot dispensary or some kind of more ridiculousness? It's like, how many do we need? 
you know, we have 110,000 people. How many do we need? Is it another handshake? Is something going on? Okay. What, what happened to our mom and, top, mom and pop Italian restaurant? What happened to the small business that was doing so well? Where is everything going? Everything about everything we do makes us wonder, what's going on? Is something happening? Are we losing control? It seems like somebody's always in it for something else. And Paul's saying, hey, look, even if they are, okay, you refute it and you hold fast. No, that's not true. That's not what it is. If God wants that business to go or what God wants that business to stay, that's between them and God, okay? Sometimes Ecclesiastes, there's time and a season for everything. So that business is going to come and go as it needs to be. But one of the things I want to tell you is if you're telling me I'm afraid to die or scared to die, did I not tell you I'm a Pharisee among the Pharisees? I love the law. As a Pharisee, they embraced all 600 plus of the laws. He knew every law there was. He wasn't saying, I'm afraid of the law. He was saying, if I've done something, then I should die for it. Fine, I'm ready to die. But you're, you're listening to people making accusations and people making claims, and none of them have been substantiated. Do people make accusations about you today? Do people make claims about you? By the way, the Bible talks about making an accusation about someone. Making an accusation about an elder or a pastor has very specific mandates on how you can and can't make an, an accusation. Or according to Matthew 18, if you do make an accusation, what the protocol is for that. If you find, church, that you're making an accusation about someone and the individual is not present, can I just encourage you to do this? Stop. Because whatever you're doing at that point is not biblical and you're not, you're not standing in God's word. If you have a problem with a brother or a sister in Christ and you've prayed about it and that problem continues to be in your craw and you cannot let it go, you pray about it and you go one one. You stand before the individual and you rebuke and you reprove and you exhort according to 1 Timothy 4 as the Bible says. If it's not a biblical based rebuke, if it's a personal take, you let it go because you're not being biblically flexible. A biblical rebuke means you can identify something from God's word that gives you the presence to stand in front of someone and say, hey, look, you keep using God's name in vain. I can't have that around anymore. I understand there's lots of different words to say, but I'm pleading with you. Do not use the Lord's name around me anymore. I love you. I'm glad to be your friend, but it's a real problem for me. Would you please consider this? There's a biblical way that we go one-one. Now, when that individual two weeks later continues to be spouting that word off, you now go and grab another brother or sister that knows this individual, and now we come to one. And we go to that individual and say, hey, look, I came to you, and I implored you to consider this. You didn't do it. So now I brought Romy with me, and we're coming to you, and we're just asking you, hey, we hear this. It's going around. It's not good for the body. Would you, you see the pattern? Two, three, church discipline after that okay there's a way that we can do it that will stop a lot of the nitpicking and naysaying and what paul's saying is all this stuff that you guys are talking about none of it's true you want to take me to jerusalem you, i tell you why you want to take me to jerusalem guess what's going to happen if i go to jerusalem i will be killed so i'm not going to jerusalem i'm going to caesar i know where the lord wants me to go it's not to jerusalem i'm going to caesar so if this is the situation and you can't make a ruling based on the information you have which is pretty cut and dry then i appeal to caesar like i said today when you say i take the fifth by the way you have the right to take the fifth at any time and i would implore some of you to do that okay you don't have to talk you don't have to give your reasons sometimes your reasons can put you in jail okay Take the fifth, and when you do, there's protection in that, and that's what Paul says. I take the fifth, put me in front of Caesar, and I guarantee you this, this is going to be embarrassing for you. Why? Because you're getting ready to send me to Caesar with no charge. 
How is that going to look for you, governor? Sending someone, a Roman citizen, holding him against his will for two years, and now sending him all the way to Rome with no quantifiable charge. Hey, Paul's destined to go, so he says, I'm ready to go. This brings me to my second point, Ecclesiastes 3. I've mentioned it twice already. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. When God tells you to bend, roll with it. Roll with it. He's not telling you bend because you're going to break. He's telling you, this is for you, Paul. You're going there anyways. I just got you a free Uber ride, right? You're now going to be on a flagship of the, of the king, a king or the governor's royal fleet, and I'm going to walk you right up to Caesar, which is where you knew you were going anyways. Meanwhile, when it came to pain and punishment and all that different thing, I already told you that it was coming. So do not act surprised. Church, don't act surprised when pain and punishment and discomfort come your way. Because the Bible tells us when we come to faith, that's what's coming our way. Right? I told you there's a lot of things in the world today that tell us not. But this is the reality. If you roll with it and you trust God with it, like I said, your hands go from this clenched fist, you know, mine. Why would you take this from me? Why would you take this relationship from me? Why would you take this job from me? From me, Lord. You're a faithful servant. Think about how weird that sounds, by the way, right? Does, is that what the Lord is known for, taking away things from his children? Are you known as a parent for taking away things from your children? Is it your greatest desire when you wake up in the morning, you go, what can we take away from our children this morning? <laughs> what parent sits around and does this? What can I do, Right? We wake up as parents sometimes in the middle of the night and we continually think of ways that we can lavish and love and show redemption and rest restorative nature to our kids. And when our kids prodigal on us and they go wayward and they run amok, we don't think, oh, no, get them, Lord. We still think, why, Lord, I would do anything for this kid. And we continue to bleed. And I've seen moms throw themselves time and time and time in front of the bus. Sorry, dads, it's kind of a mom thing. Something about their wiring. God wired them differently, and they refuse to say no. They will go to the nth degree for that wayward kid. They will go, and they will go, and they will go. Remember, that's why the thief on the cross. I'm convinced, right? Are you convinced? Prodigals have been lost. People who have not been flexible have asked why. Because there's a time and a season for everything. And your prodigal has to run as far as they can until they lay down and they submit. Until they lay down and submit to the Lord, they will continue to run. And my heart is broken for you because I'm a brother of a prodigal, right? I watched my brother run for 20 years. After graduating school, becoming a pastor, having his own congregation, moving to Texas, having an incredible house and family, everything a guy could possibly want, only to fall back into his wayward ways of his youth and trash it all. Woke up in prison one day with his roommate being stabbed multiple times. For him and his roommate were the ones who shared faith in prison. And he continued to ask the Lord how much longer. Then he woke up one day in a Texas mental institute and realized, it's about long enough. You've run out of road. And he said, I'm done fighting. With no teeth. And his body now looking on a 120-year-old man. And I think we're three years apart, so I think he's like 62, maybe 63. He finally gave up 
And as we speak today, he's never been happier. He's never been fuller. He's never been more whole. He's just the shell of the human that once was. He had to run as far as he could until he finally was no longer stiff-necked. And in his flexibility, the Lord said, I'm ready. I had a meeting with him. It was beautiful to be able to go out there and talk with someone like that. And I remember one of the questions I asked him poignantly. Why would you do this? To me, to, to mom, to Scott, to my brother, why would you do this? And he said, I knew everything that I was doing the entire time. And I did it because I wanted to. Hey, you're holding on to the past church because you want to. I don't want you to hold on to the past. I need you to let go of the past. Some of you specifically this morning know, I need you to let go of the past. The past is not your friend. It taught you something. It showed you something. It exposed a weakness in your body. Now let it go. Because you press on for the prize. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's run back to the passage. 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea. With the, the pay their respects to Festus, pomp and glory. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed with Paul's case with the king, and he said, there is a man whom Felix left to me as a prisoner, right? Oh, blame-shifting 101, I love this, right? It's Felix's fault, the other governor, he left him as a prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews, they brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. But verse 16, I told them, this is not a crime in the Roman custom to hand over someone before they have faced charges. They, have an, they need an opportunity to defend themselves against these charges. And when they came here with me, I did not delay in the case, but I convinced the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes that I expected, crimes that would be punishable by putting someone in jail. Verse 19, instead, they had some points of dispute with their own religion and about some dead guy named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Okay, so what's the big deal? I was at a loss of how to investigate such matters. So I asked, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem? Does this sound familiar? Would you be willing to go to Jerusalem again? Would you be able to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there? And Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, so I ordered him until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, hmm, I would like to hear this man myself. And he replied, tomorrow you will hear this man. Blame shifting, promises, prisoner left behind, it's not my fault. And did you see me, King Agrippa, and, and my sister Bernice come in? Did you see that? Wasn't that amazing? Look at us. By the way, he has an illicit relationship with his sister Bernice, who will then go on to have illicit relationship with two other governors. This is as good as it gets, right? You're standing before someone who's like bottom of the barrel when it comes to integrity. All these kings, Agrippa I, you guys remember Agrippa I? What did Agrippa I do? Well, um, he killed James, uh, he killed Peter, uh, and he tried to kill Paul. So this is the legacy that King Agrippa's legacy, and this is one of his second gens down. Okay? These are not the kind of people you would stand in front of when you're trying to plead your case about your life. And the things that they kind of offer are kind of like, uh, let's just say, a false sense of security. Yes, they're strong because they've been put in place in power. But when he says to him, even with all the strength I have, all I can find with this guy is religious indifference. Religious indifference is when, in Roman law, you could talk about other religions, but you always had to honor the fact that they had a, a, a certified religion where the Caesar was king. And all this guy's talking about is some guy that they followed named Jesus. He thinks he's alive. Okay, 
I can't prove that. I can't do anything with that. And that doesn't go against Roman law. So what do you guys want me to do with it? I love how he doesn't know what to do with it. It seems like the obvious thing you should do with it is just let him go. Pretty clear that there's not a charge there. But I'm going to appeal to you, King Agrippa, you and Bernice, your illicit relationship. You guys know so much. Just tell us, benevolence. Does it feel like kind of like what we're going against today when we go to our courts and we ask them to rule on things in our lives? Do, do, do people in the current systems that we have that are kind of over us and been placed over us, do they really have like a biblical perspective of things? Would a conservative view of things that say, you know, the reality of me standing before you and trying to plead my spiritual conundrum to you, it's going to make no sense to you. You're going to say, oh, you're one of those conservative people or religious people, right? And you're just going to have indifference for me. Yet this is what happens, and this is what God has asked him to do, and yet the same rules apply. I'm asking you to be flexible, and I'm asking you to consider that there's a season for everything, because in this season I'm placing you in right now, you still have to show him that what you intend for evil, God is going to use for good. Church, that's the bottom line here. No matter what we think about being flexible or not being flexible, is whatever your people are that are working against you, whatever grudge someone's holding on to you, whatever 40 men have signed a pact against you, whatever thing you think that other individual in life is sole purpose to bring you down is, whatever they intend for evil, you can stand on this, that God will use it for good. Romans 8 also tells us that there's this opportunity for all things to work together. So, Caesar, I'm asking you this. I, I brought my information to you, 22, 20, I brought my information to you. I've denied all three of the charges that you've given me. My conscience is clear. If you can't make a decision on what is cut and dry, then I'll appeal to Caesar. So I wrote this question. Appealing to Caesar basically says, I appeal to Caesar's sense of justice. When it comes to justice today, who would you appeal your sense of justice to? In the world we live in right now, when you talk about all the things that are unfair, who do you go plead your case to? Church, if you don't have faith, if you don't have God, if you don't have somewhere in the cross to bring that to, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be hard-pressed to go find someone who you can bring a true sense of justice to and say, hey, this is happening in our town. Hey, this is happening in my life. What do you think about this? And have them speak wisdom into it. Remember the goal of having this is a clear conscience. If you don't have a clear conscience, then what does the Bible say about your conscience? What does the Bible teach us about it? It teaches that it's really important to have one. And Micah 6 says this, God has told you, old man, not old man, oh man, sorry, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Yet as we looked at verse 25, we hear the Jews shouting that he should no longer be left alive and he should be killed. Does this sound familiar? Shouting Jews that he should be killed? Is this standing before an unfit judge who can't find anything wrong? Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> hey Jesus, this sounds a lot like you. There's nothing new under the sun. We're going to watch things happen. We're going to see things unravel in life. And we're going to think, wow, hasn't this already happened? Hasn't this already been done? Didn't we learn the first time? How many of you ever asked why a pastor, like my wife, haven't you already said that? You, you think there's something like mentally wrong with pastors that we repeat stuff? Haven't you already said that, pastor? Didn't you say that last week? 
How many times have you heard something in life that you're still doing today and you know better? How hard-headed are we that we have to continue to lather, rinse, and repeat? Lather? Why does the bottle tell me that? You don't think I know how to wash my hair by now? Just a little dollop and I know. But we tell them because, remember, we don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be terrible. We just give them the title because that's what they are. We don't have to teach Vanna and Vixie how to be blonde little dynamos because they are. You have to teach them how to be godly women. If you don't teach them, time out. If you don't teach them, guess who will? Right outside that door. You know what's waiting for them? The world. And the world has this whole new wacky philosophy where right is wrong and relevant is subjective to your interpretation and all kinds of different things that we know are just not only not true, but have never even been subject to questioning is available for conversation out that door. So if you want to abstain on your God-given authority to pour into the next generation, they won't walk humbly. They will not love justice and they will not love kindness. He says, I've done nothing. I've done nothing except for what I'm supposed to be doing. So therefore, I'm appealing to someone who needs to figure this out. Send me to the king. Send me to the Caesar. Send me to someone who can make some kind of appeal on this. It's unreasonable for the governor to send him before the king. And yet once he says that, he's now going to send him. So as we start chapter 26 next week, it will be under the pretense that a man who has done absolutely nothing wrong will be sent before the highest authority. Man, Jesus part two, right? Jesus, the highest authority there was on the earth before the highest authority on man who still said, I can find nothing wrong. What do you want to do? Kill him. You know, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have movies. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the music. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have a lot of influences. That They were just as evil. Please don't blame it on our times and our culture and your kids' music. Every generation has been saying the same thing in the Bible. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And every generation in the Bible has been wrong. And every generation after that has been worse than the generation before it. And it's the same conundrum. It all works to distract you from the main thing. The main thing is the Lord is coming. We're all going to Rome. We're all going to stand before Caesar one day. It's not just Paul. We are all going to get there. But it's the ministry along the way. If you're not flexible enough, you're going to miss out on it. And you're going to think somehow God's doing something to you. And, and you're some kind of whipping post for God. And then whatever. And it's not only not true, but it's a misunderstanding of the perspective he's asking you to have to get you to the end game. Because every person that you encounter today when you're not feeling it is the person who may need Christ. That same grocery store that you go to and the same checker that you go to and the same person you walk by, the same neighbor you see him drive by and you don't wave, you're fighting it. It's right there. God doesn't want to make our ministry difficult. It's right there in front of us, but you're just holding on to everything like this, right? Maybe it's that prodigal in your life and that prodigal has got you so distracted that, that you're, you've stiff-necked yourself and now you're off the path and you're off the line and you're just like waiting for that prodigal to come home. The prodigal will come home when the Lord has established the prodigal to come home. And not a day before, not an hour before. Right? He has to wake up in the pig slop, the story in the Bible. He has to wake up in the pig slop 
and realize, what am I doing? What have I done? Why did I do it? Where did my inheritance go? And he starts putting pieces together. When I had, people were here, and now I don't have, and nobody's here. He gets a sense of right and wrong, and he goes, you know what? In my father's house, this wouldn't be so. In my father's house, even this position would be better than this position. In my father's house is where I need to go. He didn't make a profession of faith and ask for forgiveness. He just reconciled himself to where I needed to go. The orientation to God is a, an amazing thing. The Bible says that when you orientate yourself to God, even when you can't speak, even when you're so broken and you're so frustrated about what God has done in your life and you can't speak, guess who understands? The Holy Spirit. That's a verbatim statement in the Bible. He interprets our inclinations. He knows what we're thinking. He knows how broken we are. He knows how confused we are. He knows how not humbly we're not walking. And he says, I got you. I got those kids. By the way, we're doing a baby dedication coming up in a couple of weeks or whatever. One of the most fabulous things we can do is kind of purpose, right? That the long-term commitment to Proverbs 22 is to train up. Why? Because it's going to get to this next point. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 you are a new person in Christ. To be flexible is a trait that only comes in salvation. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. You have a new heart that's alive in Christ. You cannot be biblically flexible without salvation. You cannot have the proper perspective of what it means to bend and not break. You cannot understand that there's a time and a season for everything. You can't because your heart's not alive. The Bible says your heart prior to God is proverbially wicked. Now, I know a lot of people think when we think of wicked, we always picture like some kind of mass murder or something. But the Bible has a different understanding of wicked. And we would be right next to the most wicked person, John Wayne Casey. You come up with whatever the most wicked person you could think of and put him there, and the Bible would say you stand right next to him. We all stand accused of that same wickedness. Or if you think it in the Bible, you've done it, right? And we've all thought it before. But what about this? What has Christ Jesus done for us to change the odds about where we're going and how we're going to get there? Are we stuck in a situation where... We can't change anything, or can we fall to our knees in prayer and say, you know what, Lord, this relationship's really important to me. I have someone that I work with. I have someone that I'm in a relationship. I have a marriage, and it seems like it's breaking. I need restorative work in this. If it's, if it's me, help me to see my role in it, right? We always have a tendency to kind of pray for the other person, help them to see and help them to understand and forgive them. What about your role in it, right? Two to tango, right? Lord, if it's me, help me to see my role in it. And if it's them, help them to be willing to meet me halfway. What victory can the devil have? Someone said, oh, the devil's going after my family and the devil's doing this and that. Where is the devil for the sake of this conversation this week? Where is the devil right now? You guys know where he is? What the Bible says the devil is right now? Yes? No? He's in heaven, stands before the throne, accusing the believers all day, right? He, his role is to stand and accuse. We are at war with the spiritual realm for sure ephesians 6 ma makes that absolutely clear we wrestle not with those things seen gotcha a principalities of dark and light right and as we wrestle with those things that are unseen we know at times some of us know even more than others what it's like to wrestle evil right but when we wrestle evil what makes us think that we can overcome that okay there's someone in this building right now there's there's people that i'm dealing with right now that are dealing with literal demonic oppression 
literal, physical, demonic oppression. What makes you think, as a pastor, I can stand before them and offer them any hope if it wasn't for the hope of being a new creation in Christ? What could I possibly offer someone in that situation? Nothing. There's no medication. There's no amount of time. There's no amount of counseling that's going to walk someone out of oppression, demonic oppression, and into salvation. There's only the hope of a new heart. And until that individual sees the need for that new heart, there's nothing we can do, right? We come to God of our own volition. We walk away from God from our own volition. No one forces us in or out of faith. We choose. It's free will. It's the only thing that we have that's exclusive to us, that's unique about us, that also puts us at odds with God. So he says, if you want a new heart, if you want a new opportunity, if you want to be able to do something you never could do before, there is one way you can obtain it. Give me your old heart of stone. And in return, I will give you a heart of flesh. And now you have a new hope. What can ultimately be done? The last point. What can ultimately be done with a new heart? Philippians 4 says this. This is a great little passage. Philippians 4, and I highly recommend that a lot of you use Philippians 4.13 without understanding where the passage was coming from or what the heart of the passage is. This is the heart of I can do all things. Okay? Philippians 4, starting in 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I am saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be, dot, 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 content in whatever the circumstances are. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Now, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What did Paul need to learn? He needed to learn to be flexible. Church, if you read that passage and all you get to is I can do all things without understanding how you can do all things, you cheated yourself by being topical and not taking the whole content of what was being said. You can if you learn. Now, here's another problem for you. By implication, what does it mean if you learn? You don't currently know. That's it. Thank you, John. You don't currently know. If you don't know something and you want to stand in faith in it, it's going to be difficult. But if you believe that somehow God can walk you through oppression, that God can walk you through a difficult situation, that that family member that you know needs to become a believer is now adversarial to you, and you're like, this, I can't deal with this. This is someone I love. How can I deal with someone? They're not adversarial. There's only one person who's adversarial to us. It's not a human being. It's the guy standing before the throne accusing you all day long. We only have one enemy, and we are the enemy most of the time. But if you want to learn to do something different, then you've got to love God's word. The Bible says, be a Berean. The Bereans were a group of people who loved God's word. In the church of today, with all the personalities and all the charismata and all the different things that try to wane people and lean people and influence people, I would encourage you to stand down and love God's word. Spend time. Tom was talking to me this morning about new wineskins in his reading. He's like, 
you know, what happens if you don't have money? The new wineskin's 20 pesos, and all I have is my old wineskin, but God's given me the new wine. He said, saturate the old wineskin and make it pliable again. You know, Tom, that, this is the best thing about a ride-in with a friend and God speaking truth to him. And he's speaking truth in the message morning. Some of you are old wineskins and you're dry. And the Lord's trying to put a new wine in you. And he's trying to get you to see what you need to do and how you need to do it. And he's saying, please, be flexible. And you're like, I can. I'm old and dry and crusty. And he's saying, okay, make peace with it now. Soak it in me. Soak it in the word. And guess what happens to that wineskin as it soaks in God's word. Yeah. It, it, the, the sinew and the tissues of that whole thing start to saturate itself, and, re, and it has the ability to do something it couldn't do before. If you were stuck right now feeling like you can't do something that God has told you to do that you could do before, maybe this morning you need to saturate yourself in God's word. So let me conclude. If you refuse to let go of the past, the effect the consequence of being stuck in the past will affect, affect, influence your present. Okay? You're not a victim of your own circumstances. You're a victor in the circumstance. Because you are now in Christ more than a conqueror. For those of you who think, I am more than a conqueror. If you think that you're more than a conqueror without Christ, it's a huge mistake. Okay? You set yourself up to go against that enemy on your own. We don't battle against the enemy on our own. We battle in community. If you're struggling with something and you're struggling on your own, this morning, part of maybe what you need to do with communion, find someone to ask and say, I'm going through it, and I've been going through it alone, and I'm not having victory in it, and I would like to invite you into my struggle. Would you be my prayer warrior and hold me up in prayer as I deal with this mental health issue, this physical health issue this thing bring someone into that thing because your inability to 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 let it go is now causing you to not have spiritual success in the current and what they intended for evil god will use for good right we're going to just we're going to turn the equation around who will serve hear my lord send me i don't know what i'm doing but i'm willing to go rigid people can't move Bible says you become stiff-necked, and a stiff-necked person will not only lose sight of all things, but only have the ability to focus on the single issue that is destroying them. Fight it with everything you have. There's a time and a season for everything. If you can't roll with it, it will roll over you, okay? Roll with it, enjoy it. Think of your childhood in a grass hill, and one of the first things you want to do is roll down it. Perfectly fine and fun, okay? Now as we get older, we fall down that same hill on our own by tripping, and we don't have the same attitude. Maybe we should just roll with it. From now on, any of you older people that do fall, roll with it and then stand up and land it like a gymnast and just call it a day. Shawnee, that might help. Okay. I'm just saying. We all have. We fight it, right? There's a time in our life where that's the joy rolling down a hill. Now, we don't want any change. I, I, I have certain foods that I like. I like certain fishing. I like certain golfing. I like certain things. Anytime there's a change to any of that, I went to Acapulco this week with someone. I don't go to Acapulco. I only go to El Matador. My body only knows El Matador. My friend's body goes anywhere, okay? My body went to El Poco, and then my body went home for two days and showed me who was in charge, okay? I'm just saying, 
any kind of change, right? Or, don't act like this is not true. This is us. We hate change. Change is not our friend. We'll resist change with everything. Look at our hair. The recent, a recent Wednesday morning prayer revealed that, that me and Tom are the only one left with hair in our elder group. So things happen, okay? Things that were once there hide. Things that we once were able to do are gone. Roll with it. Enjoy the season of life that you're in. Make peace with the battle and the struggle that God has given you, but bring others in to fight alongside of you. If someone doesn't hold my left arm and someone doesn't hold my right arm, who is it going to affect? The army fighting down in the valley, right? How important is it to have your leader up there? They don't realize the leader's up there praying, but as long as his arms are up, what's happening? Israel is winning. Oh, five hours. By the way, here's another fun little... Try that. When you're at home today watching TV, try it. See how long you can hold your arms up. Just for fun. Simple thing. I mean, they only weigh 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever pounds our arms weigh, right? Just hold them. How simple. Field gold. Yeah. He said, I need, I need Aaron and I need her on the left and right of me. Why? Because they don't realize how many people's lives in the valley are lost instantly. When the battle's not the Lord's. That's flexibility 101, right? Part of the reason I had to go back to golf is I was losing my flexibility. Part of my kidney disease made me afraid of doing certain things. And I stopped doing certain things. And I was fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing. And then my hands got really cold. And I couldn't even reel my fishing reel in. And I was like, I can't do anything. Right? And I'm sitting down on the beach in my spot where I always fish. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm losing everything. And he's like, are you really? Or is there something else I have you to do? Flexibility says, as much as you love fishing, you just may not be able to fish in the cold right now. But church, there's a lot of things I can't do right now. But after March 11th, when I'm eating guacamole, when I'm not in that dialysis chair on Tuesday morning at 4.30 in the morning, when 11.30 in the afternoon comes on that same Tuesday afternoon when I'm wondering how bad the migraine's going to be, I have a chance to be flexible and say, you know what, I'm going back to the clinic today. One of the first things I plan on doing April, May, June, as soon as I am restored, one of the first things I plan on doing is going back to my dialysis clinic with a bunch of pizzas and a bunch of flowers and loving every single one of those people that has spent the last two years bedside with me shoving needles in my arm and listening to everybody scream and those monitors beep and the living hell that is a dialysis clinic because they don't have the flexibility that I'm about to be given. Blessed are the flexible, for they will bend, right, and not break. It's not just Chuck Smith who said that years ago. This has been around from the very beginning. You've got to be able to flex, church. You've got to roll with it or it's going to roll over you. It happened in your salvation. You now have what you need in your salvation to be a new creature. You can let it go. You can let it go this morning at communion. You can let that thing go today that you've been holding on to maybe your whole life. But don't forget what Paul said. I learned it. Okay? You're not that smart. You're not that wise. And humble yourself in front of the Lord and learn. Aprender for my Spanish friends. Learn. What the Lord would have you to understand. Then you can humble yourself and say, okay, I, 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 the new posture is this. My life, my job, 
my relationships, my stresses, my strains. You want me to have them? Then I, then I will have them, even when I don't want them and I don't understand them. But I trust that you have something with them, that you're going to show me something. Right? The beautiful thing is that we raised our kids. Like, my kids are a lot older now. And one of the greatest things is when I see my kids now of their own volition love the Lord. Like, my daughter is a nurse, and she has to serve. And one of the things that she gets to come home, and she's already lost patience. People have passed on her. And patients have been lavishing her with gifts. And I get a chance to read those little cards and those gifts when she brings them home at night and she's dead tired and she goes to sleep. She leaves her little gifts around the house. And I open up those little cards and snoop like every good father should do. <laughs> and I read, Dear Dallas, thank you for caring for me in my worst moments. Here's a little compact for you to remind yourself how beautiful you are, whatever it is. Right? And the guy buys the little compact for her, whatever it is. She's learned right? We, we have to teach them. Proverbs 22, you have to teach them. Some of us didn't learn it when we're young. It's okay. You still have time. Learn it now. Be flexible. Trust the Lord, and he will show you how to toil in vain. The last thing I'm sure Paul asks is this, how long must I toil? How long is this ground going to be rocky and the weeds are going to choke it out. And how, how much longer will every good work that I do get choked out? I worked for five years to build this business. And one customer comes in on the weekend and I'm just a little bit tired. And I said something stupid. And now I'm going to lose it all? Why, Lord, how long? Dangerous place to be. You toil as long as the Lord says toil. right? And then you celebrate when the Lord says celebrate. There's a time and a season for everything. So when the time comes to dance, turn on some 80s, because we had the best dance music. Come on, Cool in the Gang, Commodores. Seriously. Put on the music and dance. So that when that individual who loses their spouse comes along the following week and they come in mourning, you can shut it down and weep with them and be that comrade and be that soulmate because you know how to celebrate in all seasons. Like we're celebrating. We're celebrating that we don't know, not know where that person is. We know where that person is, that we're going to see them again soon, right? Time is now lost for them. They don't have time. We still have time. But they're going to see us again one day and say, where have you been? And that's part of that anticipation about why heaven's going to be so great. We know something. We learned something. Now we got to use it so that we can celebrate in all things. But, but this person intends this for evil. That person said this for evil. Genesis 50, what you intended for evil, God will use for good. I don't have to like it. I don't have to understand it. That's what it says. Good enough for me. I'm going to pray and ask those who are serving communion to come forward. And I want to give you a final communion thought. This morning when you came in here, I believe, because just the sheer volume of people, Someone in this room has walked in this morning with something that they believe is not only impossible to let go of, but something they will never let go of. Someone in this room this morning has come in thinking that I am stuck in life, nobody knows, nobody cares, and I have no clue what I'm doing. Somebody else has come in here this morning and thought, you know what, if I could just share what God has actually done with me, I might be able to pull somebody else out of the fire talked to you about that last week from Jude. 
And that's why I'm going to ask very quickly that my friend Ted Ferris will come up. And he is going to share with you a very quick little testimony before we do. Can you turn this one on? He recently had a very unique experience in the hospital. And I know that he feels that God gave him a chance to do something and experience something that he felt was worth sharing with his church body. What do you think, church? Is that a hard sermon to follow? <laughs> it's all good, brother. Um, a lot of you probably don't know me. My name's Ted Ferris, and I'm married to the lovely Muggy, who most of you probably know because she's pretty social. She's um, been the one that's helped walk me through this uh, time of recovery. And a lot of you don't know that uh, I spent the last, well, the whole month of December in Hogue Hospital getting, uh, I went in for uh, what I thought was going to be another stint. I guess eight weren't enough. But they said, no, they can't do that. Uh, we're going to have to do some open heart surgery on you. So um, that's what happened. And after the surgery, I was in recovery. And I don't know if, if the Lord was calling me or it was just... Uh, my bad fate, but anyway, I uh, passed out as the two nurses were trying to get me up to have lunch, and as I did, I went into cardiac arrest, and I don't know how long I was going to heaven, but... Uh, I think it was because of all the prayers and support that I got from this room. Um, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Bill, the congregation, my, my wife's prayer group, Wednesday night prayer group. But I came out of it and I breathed again. And that's something hard to live through. <laughs> but uh, I think it's all due to prayer. And I'm just a testimonial standing here in front of you to let you know that prayers do work. Amen. And um, how many in our group are uh, first timers here at Lighthouse Church? By a raise of hands. All right. None of us? Two. Oh, hey. two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. good. Yes. Beautiful. Well, welcome. Yeah. Looks like somebody's doing some seed work. There you go. All right. Well, the rest of us need to get to work. We do. God's calling us. All right, brother. Thank you yeah. very much, and, and keep praying. It works. Amen, brother. Thank you. If you're thinking this morning, what do I have to do to share a testimony? If you have something that God has done that's truly miraculous or just something that you really feel strong about sharing, just let me know. We do communion the first every month. I'm happy to work it out with you. 
In the meantime, as we prepare ourselves for communion, uh, just ask yourself, uh, you guys, one part of the room work left, the other part will work right. Come and get your elements, and then we'll pray before we take the elements.
Thank you, Matthew, for the onslaught of some of the songs that we should never forget and what a blessing they are. I have one final story I want to share with you. I have probably shared this story publicly 20 times. So, wife, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a man stuck on an island, completely destitute. Weeks and weeks went by, eating coconuts, trying to survive, wondering if he'd ever be found again. And he realized that the island only had limited resources, and of his own volition, he would one day consume all the resources, and it would come to an end. But he felt this tremendous sense of family. And you all think I'm describing the movie of Tom Hanks, but this is a different man. I made this up. This is a pastor story. He said, no, for my family, I'm going to keep fighting. My family would want me to keep fighting, so I'm going to keep fighting. And he kept fighting, eating lizards, eating conchs, which is like a snail, you know, in the water, fish, whatever he could do, to the point he exhausted everything. Sitting in front of his last fire, the firewood that he had, by the way, firewood is a known thing. There's, a, there's a, an entire society that decimated all the trees in their area and completely decimated the entire society. I'll let you look that one up, but it exists. And with his final fire, he said, doesn't matter anymore, all that's left. Doesn't matter, my house, my stuff, it doesn't matter anything. So I'm going to burn it all tonight. Everything left on the island, my house, my belongings, everything I've labored for over this time, everything I have, I'm done. I'm not sure if it's a flexible move or if it's just kind of a giving up, but I'm done, Lord. Nobody will ever find me. There's no reason to live. He ate his last coconut water. He did his last thing. He lit it all on fire, and he laid down. He was pray probably praying, Lord, just take me. Through the night... The entirety of his work, he had built quite a few structures. He had built quite a few different things. The entirety of his labor burned all night. An interesting happened by burning all night. A passing ship saw the fire and said, that's an uninhabited island. That's interesting. Should we go check it out and see why this island is on fire? There's no reason for it to be. Only to find an individual covered in suit and the burnt down entirety of everything that he had, gone. One final SOS to the Lord. And what he had intended for who knows, malice, good, bad, or indifferent, the Lord had intended for good. For with his final fire, he was rescued and he went home. Church, everything you have one day is going to burn. One day, everything you hold is valuable and significant will be passed on to somebody else. And regarding your will or your last testament, everything you have, clothes, belongings, will be of no value to you. There will only be one thing that remains, is who you put your final request out to. Because there's only one person coming to rescue from the island of sin that we are all on. We are all trapped on that island. And there's only one ship passing in the night that's still looking for the lost. His name was, his name is, and his name forevermore will be Jesus. He gave his life, and on the last night that he gave his life, he had a chance to sit with his guys. They call it the Last Supper. I call it the Great Supper. Because in that moment, he did something with them, and he shared something with them that he says, we can share this until he returns. And he will return again. 
But he said, every time we take this little piece of bread, every time we look at this little piece of bread and think about what it means, it reminds us that until he comes again, we eat this to remind us that we're not doing this on our own. We are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone away. And this is a reminder of what has come in. It's the body of Jesus Christ given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we forget how weak we are. We forget how desperate we are for your strength. We thank you for your body given to us to remind us that in this life you will have trials and tribulations. But take heart, I've overcome this world. And now there is no temptation in this world that you will have to go through without me walking you through it. In the same way he picked up the cup, it would have just been one cup. They pass it around and each would take a drink from it. The intimacy of our Lord to make a meal so personal. And he said, hey, look, this will never just be juice or wine again, ever. This is my blood. This fulfills that Old Testament covenant that God mandated. And now in me is paid. So because of that, if you will learn, I will show you new things. You can do things in me that you could never do without me. And I know it's going to be a struggle. And I know it's going to be a strain. But it's going to be worth it. Church, we're not laboring for the things of the worth that moth and rust and fire can consume, right? We're laboring for crowns that are incorruptible. They're incorruptible and we will wear for a period of time and then we will pass them back to the king of all kings. When you drink this, you're reminding, you're taking this in, the blood of Christ to Telestai. It is paid in full. Your sins are paid in full. Now live like a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, as we conclude our time together today, I would simply ask that if there's anyone in this building today that has been hanging on to something in the past, that today would be the day of reckoning. Today would be the day of letting that go. Maybe we need to go old school. Maybe we need to just come forward and kneel at the throne and kneel on the steps and just pray out loud. Maybe we just need to stand where we are. Maybe we need to sit where we are. Maybe we just need to speak a quiet word to you. Maybe we just need to turn our head towards heaven. But Father, for those this morning that want healing, for those this morning that enough is enough, for those this morning that have been trying to do it their own way, I pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, that they would reconsider that, submit their lives to the Lord of Lords. Stop asking why any longer and simply say along the way, I need to do ministry. Along the way, I need to throw seeds. And so I give my life to Jesus. I give my problem. I give this issue, this thorn that's been my life. I give this to Jesus. Jesus, take it. Take this oppression. Take this mental health. Take this sickness. Take this thing that has been placed upon me. And show me a different way. I'm, I'm willing to learn. 
Father God, if there's someone watching online or listening later on and they hear this message and they don't know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, would they take the time today to make the most important decision for a decision that will never be reversed, to give their life an offering to Jesus Christ? May everything that continues to happen in this building, may everything that continues to happen in ministry to come to be something that brings honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. I'm going to stay for a while up here. If you have any prayers, if you have anything that wasn't reconciled or solved today, I'm more than happy to work it out with you. There's some elders in the building, and we are going to be having a special prayer for an individual. So if you have an issue and you want to stay and you want special prayer, I'm going to ask some of the elders to stay with me as we get some oil and pray for some people. If you have any questions or concerns, you want to put them in the boxes. There's four little white boxes on that back wall. You can drop in any issues, concerns, tithes, whatever you want. And I just want to let you guys know if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, okay? God didn't ask you to do the easy. He asked you to do something that's significant. Go and be significant this week. May God bless and keep you, and have a blessed week. We'll see you next week. Love endures forever. Love endures forever. Love endures forever. Love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing.